Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 26 million high quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP7. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP7. This week on TWIP, your images plus the cloud equals government property, plus Magic Lanterns gives cannon shooters an extra three stops of light. Steve Simon is back on TWIP, and TWIP Nature and Landscape Contest winner Peter Gregg joins us to defend and discuss his winning contest entry. It's Wednesday, July 17th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to discuss the topics of the week and a whole lot more are Mr. Martin Bailey, Steve Simon, and a new voice on the show, Mr. Peter Gregg. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Good, evening. Good to be back. All right. Yeah, I know. Steve Simon, this is, this is going to be a, a difficult show, Steve, because I'm kind of welling up a little bit because I haven't seen you in so long. You're like the long-lost cousin that finally comes back to, comes back home on Thanksgiving to come make here, a Frederick. big reveal. Let me, let me give you a virtual hug. Come here. Come on. <laughs> All right, come here. Come here. Okay, there we go. All right, All right. thank you. Oh, that's oh so thank you very much. I've I've missed you guys for sure. It's been it's been a while. I've been I've been busy watching a lot of daytime TV, and I don't know what I've been doing. <laughs> You're it's an expert so on pop culture now? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Far from it. But you know what? It's, it's great to be back. And you know how it is. You know, we've been doing this so long that when I am back, it's like I never left. Yeah, you, Steve, you're like the Robert Downey Jr. of TWIP. You just like you make, when you make a comeback, you make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, rehab's going well. Very cool. So what, what has been going on? You've been doing workshops? Have you been back to Dubai? What's what's happening uh, in the oh world? Gosh, of- you know, I, I honestly can't remember the last time I was here. But, you know, I'm always shooting. I'm always shooting. Um, I've, I've been traveling a little. I just got back from New Orleans uh, last night, as a matter of fact. Oh. I love that city. I mean, it was. I, I did some workshops there. But, wow, what a, what a photographic place it is. A real kind of special place. You know, it, you know, you travel through the States, but New Orleans has got its, you know, real, real own history and vibe. And, it's mystery know. and voodoo yeah. and you know, all that stuff, yeah. And it's all kind of visual too, you know. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just a fun place to be. But, were you uh, there just? Were you just hanging out, or were you doing something official there? Uh, well, I actually was doing some some workshops. I did a passionate photographer workshop, so I was meeting the locals, and I, I did a little uh, lecture there, and uh, and of course shooting. You know, I, I stayed pretty close to. Uh, uh, the French Quarter, and uh, you know, I'm I'm always going out shooting, and uh, just got my little cool Pix A, you know, the little Nikon uh, rangefinder with the big sensor in it, and I've just been playing around with that. I haven't actually even seen the shots yet; I haven't downloaded them, but uh, I'm I'm kind of excited to have a, a little carry around with a with a big sensor in it. That's cool. That's cool. All right, definitely want to talk about that. I know you have a D800 as well, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later too, right? Sure. Awesome. All right. All right. Also on the show is uh, Mr. Martin Bailey coming to us from Tokyo, Japan. Hey, Martin. 
Hey, Frederick. Hey, guys. What, what's going on? What's going on in your world? Every time we talk, like I say, every time you come on, you've, you've just come back or you're about to leave to go <laughs> somewhere. What, which is it this time? No, I've actually, I, I haven't been anywhere since we last spoke. It's, uh, I'm having a, a little bit of a time between tours to, uh, to catch up on some stuff. I'm doing a bit of website work and uh, writing articles for future episodes of Photograph, things like that. The Craft and Vision magazine, that is. Oh, cool. How's, that, how's the yeah. book that you just put out? What was the, the latest book that you uh, released on Craft and Vision? Sharpshooter. The launch went really well. It's, cool. uh, it seems that uh, it, you know, it, it's going... It's going well. People are, are learning stuff from it. And the, the guys over at Craft & Vision actually changed the design of their books. Um, I, I was going to say slightly. It's a bit more than slightly. But, um, yeah, the, the design has, has gone, gone over really well as well. It's a, it's a beautiful um, layout. So, yeah, it's been good to see that go out into the world. And, um, you know, the, there's lots of other stuff going off. But uh, I've been having a relatively easy time. That's cool. Hey, I, I remember, I, I, if I recall, it was either yesterday or today or someone, something, someone was commenting on, I think it was Google Plus or Twitter or something, and they mentioned that I, I'm supposed to ask you about the pronunciation of the word bokeh or bokeh or whatever. <laughs> well, so apparently you, you went on a rant on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so, I mean, that's actually pretty pretty cool and very relevant because I've seen a few uh, people trying I mean someone even put a video out recently and and was instamatically um, pulled up for the fact that it even said it wrong in the video <laughs> uh, and I couldn't even watch the video because I, I was dreading what might happen but it's um it's bucket it's it's a very easy word to say bucket uh, you don't you don't um, like you know, okay the, but with stunted syllables and a b instead of an o yeah it's um so I mean the, the the e is pronounced like the e in egg, unless you live in a country that says something really weird like I don't know maybe New Zealanders say egg, but um, you know the the e in egg is the e in bucket so bucket. You know um, what I say to that, Martin? I say blur. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. gonna I'm gonna go American on this, and I'm gonna just say the path of least resistance is blur. And if you want to get yeah. technical. Background blur. <laughs> <laughs> There's foreground blur as well. Okay, or foreground. You can put whatever yeah. qualifier you want to put in front of blur, but it's yeah. blur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, it's like sushi. And, you know, I mean, there's not many people that say sushi. It's always sushi and yeah. and tsunami, you know. And right. these are, so that once the word gets Englishized, it's um, it's pretty much out of the bag so it, it it doesn't bother me at that much but it's uh yeah i have to i haven't listened to that episode but apparently you were you're a little bit visceral on there so i want to i want to hear martin <laughs> the normally calm and collected martin bailey go off on blur <laughs> yeah now you know what it, it's um the other the thing i remember that episode it was i just heard so many people saying it wrong and i uh i i had a little bit of a rant one of the few rants that i have Okay. But um, it's it really. I mean, it just it actually just it means to to be going senile. Uh, you know, one of the or, or to be stupid. That if you call someone bokeh in Japan, it's like you idiot. You know, so yes, you know, yes. especially down in in um, Osaka, the the uh, southern part of or you know the, over over to the west, they use bokeh quite a lot just as a as an insult. Really? But are, are yeah. you saying bokeh with an English accent, or is that that's bokeh. how? It, that's okay. a Japanese accent. Bokeh. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You gotta say bokeh. 
Bokeh. Yeah, we used to say in, in Canada on the streets, you say, uh, Bokey dokey. <laughs> That's probably Dude, I'm, I, I gave up on Bokeh. I'm going with <laughs> Blur. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> I would call good. it bouquet, but that's that's wrong too. So yeah, bouquet. because every time I think of saying that word now, I'm going to see an angry Martin Bailey face in front of me <laughs> with his arms crossed and foot tapping. <laughs> I'm going to see him really sharp with a beautiful bouquet in the background. Yeah. Bouquet. You, you know what? It, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. It's uh, it's just that um, people you know people do sort of mess it up a little bit. Oh, and yeah. it's uh, it's one of those things that if if you want to say it right, then that's how you say it. And if you don't, you know, just break a leg. Okay, one one more time before we move on. Say it again, Martin. Bucket. Done. All right, we got it. <laughs> you heard it here first or last or something. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. So um, just a quick uh, update. We launched a new contest. Actually, before that, I did a I did a uh, interview with Trey Radcliffe last week. I think it was about his. I'm sorry, Steve. Trey has dropped Nikon completely and moved to Sony NEX systems. He's he's yeah. ditching his D800 and moving to Sony NEX. So, you, Steve, you in particular have to watch this episode, watch that, that yes, video. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we know they're just tools, but I I, I hate them. Yeah, yep, yep, exactly. So we we spent a good 45 minutes to an hour talking about why he went to China with only or he took the he took the D800 as a backup. To his, yeah. to his Sony. Uh, it's all good, you know. Sometimes you got to sort of get a new tool in there just to kind of, you know, see what's try something new. And, yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I I have my Olympus OMD. I'm I'm still a fan of it. But I, as I told Trey, there's I'm not giving up my Nikon's anytime soon. So I think there's room for both in this world. Mm. So mm. anyway, um, that was that. And then um, we launched another contest. It's called "A Picture Is Worth a Thousand Lyrics." And you can check it out. There's a there's a link to me on YouTube announcing what the contest is about, as well as the winners of the last contest um, and the runners up and all that. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But the picture of the a picture is worth a thousand lyrics contest is essentially um, I picked a song, and it's a song most people know. If you don't, you will know it after you watch the YouTube video of someone performing the song. And then your task is to submit a photo into the contest that most makes you think of that song. It doesn't have to be a literal interpretation. It could be, hey, when I first heard that song, I was doing this, or I was with this person, or whatever. So however that song makes you feel, it could be literal or figurative. You can uh, you submit that picture, we'll judge them, and you could win. I think this, this week's prize, or this, this contest prize, is an eye acrylic print again, and uh, we're giving away, I believe, one or two file transporters, which is, uh, is a pretty big deal. But we're not giving away a co-hosting spot on This Week in Photo. That prize went to the last winner of our, our Nature and Landscape contest, Peter Gregg, who's sitting in on the show with us as part of his prize to talk about his project. So I say, Peter, uh, let's, let's dive into it. First of all, let's give, give us some background on who you are and how you got into photography and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, I'm from uh, a coastal town in the northeast of England mm -hmm. um, called Hartlepool. Uh, I'm a door-to-door -door salesman by trade. Um, I've been into photography um, a hobbyist photographer for just over a year and a half. Well, you just got into photography a year and a half ago? Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Continue. 
It all started um, in the summer of 2011. I was in, in the Lake District with my girlfriend, Maria, and I was just messing around with my iPhone. I was just messing around with the camera, and we were just walking along, and I found this little mushroom. So I got down, and I, I tapped to zoom, and I took the shot. And when I looked at it, we had some background blur or poker. And I was really amazed at, at, at this level of depth of field from, from this camera. So um, I spent months and months playing with the camera, downloading different apps and photo editing tools. And I, ju I just got totally hooked on it. So I eventually came to limitations and I thought, I need, I need something better than this. So I saved up and... December 2011, just a few months later, I bought myself a DSLR, a Canon 550D. Cool. And everything just kind of spiraled from there, really. That's really cool. Okay, so let's fast forward to now. So this image we're looking at, and we'll, we'll of course, embed this, the image, the winning image in the, the blog post for this week's episode. But uh, take us through it. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful image, and clearly it won because it's... Um, you went up against 9,000 plus other people and you, wow. and you came out and it was an independent, like I said in the video when I announced this, this I picked this image independently of Brian Gudis, who's the CEO of iAcrylic, who's giving you the prize or one, a portion of the prize. And we came to the same conclusion of all those submissions independently. So that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, I was really overwhelmed when I got the the notification to tell me that I'd I'd made the top ten finalists. I was I was really excited then, but to actually go on and win the competition is uh, it's it's truly marvelous. I'm 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 really taken back by it. Oh, it's, um, cool. it's a great it's a great image. So take me through how it was. What what's the story behind this image? Were you just walking around and you saw this, or? You've been passing this for years, and one day you're like, I'm going to get out of the car. I'm going to take a picture. What, what's the story? It didn't happen that easily, actually. Um, it started off, um, I, was, I was on a day out with my girlfriend. We were at a little place called Stith's. Um, it's in North Yorkshire. It's a, another coastal kind of fishing village. It's, um, it's kind of built up um, between like the, the, the cracks of... Um, like a like a like a river, river mouth mm -hmm. and we got to the bottom of the harbor and there was a storm coming coming in inland and there was some lightning i've never caught a lightning bolt yet so unfortunately i, I didn't have my tripod so I, I didn't really plan on taking any uh, any planned shots i was just taking snapshots while i was walking around so i ran back up to the car i got my tripod and by the time i got back down to the harbor the storm had moved a little bit further south. So I got my girlfriend and I dragged her all the way back up to the car. So we, we, we headed south to a, a place called Whitby, which was the direction that the storm was heading. And by the time we got to Whitby, the storm was starting to come inland and rain was starting to fall on the car. And I thought, well, I've gone a little bit too far here. I need to turn around. I need to try and get on the outside of this. So I turned around. Um, I started driving away from the storm. Um, in my rear view mirror, it was pitch black. I mean, the, the clouds were just so dark and moody. But in front of me, there was, there was a gap in the sky that the sun was just about to dip below the cloud. So I anticipated the rainbow. I, I knew that as soon as that sun 
came underneath that cloud and hit that wall of water, this rainbow would appear. Um, and I realized that as I was driving past this field of hay bales, so I basically just threw the car over. I didn't even grab my, my tripod. I just grabbed my camera, um, grabbed a few um, ND grads, and literally just ran into the field. Uh, I ran to one hay bale, didn't really like it, ran to another one, didn't like that one, and eventually came to the one that you see in the image and literally just held the camera handheld uh, with a, an ND grad over the front of the lens and just, just wow. took a few wow. shots, just positioned myself and just I, I knew the picture I wanted to get as soon as I seen that rainbow, as soon as I seen the hair bells, I thought that would look gorgeous arcing over the, the bells. So. I think the, the cool thing, that one of the cool things that I'm, I'm hearing is you anticipated that rainbow showing up <laughs> every time i've seen every time i've seen a rainbow it's been more of oh wow look at that a rainbow i wonder how far that goes and if there's gold <laughs> at the end of it you know there's never been there's never been like okay there's you know thinking of the science behind how rainbows are formed and then anticipating it to get the shot that you got i mean that's that makes it even cooler yeah i've, I've always been um kind of tuned to nature and my, my environment I've, I've always had a fascination with um with weather with uh, astronomy uh, media showers you know things like that so I, I i do actually read a lot about these sort of occurrences and, and how they form how they happen so that that's actually quite a good advantage when when out with a camera you can you can pick up on these kind of things before they happen yeah, yeah, that's great. And just just quickly, what what kind of post processing did you do on this, and what did you do it in? Was it Lightroom, Photoshop, Elements? Um, well, I actually started off uh, in Photoshop uh, CS five uh, when I when I took this image. I took this image on the fifth of August uh, last year, mm -hmm. two thousand and twelve, um, because I, because I was so rushed getting the picture um, because I, I know how quickly rainbows can disappear. Um, just you know, just as quickly as they appear, I didn't get the camera settings right, and the picture was actually overexposed. Mm. So I, I knew there was a lot of work to be done with the picture, and still being relatively new to photography, um, my my Photoshop skills weren't really up to scratch. So I, I had a go at it, but I wasn't truly happy with it. Mm -hmm. So I en ended up just kind of putting it aside, and I thought, well, this is one of those ones I'm going to come back to, and I'll have a little play around with it when I actually know what I'm doing. A few months later, I learned a few more techniques, um, main one being layer stacking. Mm -hmm. Because what I found when I, when I first edited the picture, uh, I, was, I was changing various parts of the picture, like saturation, contrast, and I only wanted to change part of the picture, like, like the sky, for example, without yeah. affecting the foreground. Yeah. So basically what I'd done was I basically cut the picture in two. So I, I got right down to the pixel level. I cut out the horizon and around the hair bells. And I edited the foreground on its own so it didn't affect the sky. And then I done vice versa mm -hmm. with the sky. Yeah, see that and I, I I think that's a good lesson for for Twip listeners. For and I think the way that I learn, it's hard for me to pick up concepts like if I get a book on Photoshop, I'll I'll understand how things are working. But for me to take and try to solve a problem 
and using using tools that that really kind of burns it into into my head. Martin, when you when you look at an image like this, you do a lot of landscapes and nature type photography. When you look at this, what, what do you think of it? What's your honest opinion of this shot with with the artist on the call? What do you think? Um, well, be the, nice. <laughs> <laughs> There's no uh, no need to ask. It's it's a beautiful shot. I uh, like Frederick was saying. I I love the fact that you anticipated the the rainbow there. Um, I, I would, the one thing that I would disagree with is that you probably didn't overexpose the shot. I think it might have been bright, but looking at it, I don't see anywhere where it was actually overexposed because you've got the yeah. detail throughout the shot. It was just brighter than you probably would have normally shot it. But that's actually something that I do all the time, exposing to the right so that you, you get the most detail in the images, even if you darken it down in post. Mm -hmm. um, you, you get a better quality f image file if you... You know, shoot it bright over to the right side of the histogram. Yeah, um, yeah but, you're, uh, you're right. What you're saying, yeah. I mean, there's no, um, there's no real overexposed white spots right, that right. stood out. So yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, awesome. um, and, but yeah, the way you you got the the hay bale is slightly off center. I think it would have been corny if you'd have put the hay bale in the middle and the rainbow going going across the middle there. Yeah. But compositionally, you know, putting that over, over to the right slightly, it, the leading lines go. If you you can look at it either way, you can look into the distance uh, to the horizon and then come back to the hay bale, or you can, you know, you've got these radiating lines that go along, um, pointing towards the, the the hay bale in the very back there, um, and it, it's all you know, just it it really it keeps you involved. You know, you you walk around, you you look at the detail in the hay, and then you go into the image around the rainbow, look at the beautiful sky. Uh, it's yeah, I mean. I, you don't need me to say it. it's a winner, but you know, just because you've already been, you've already won, so uh, that's that's a given. But yeah, I really like the shot. And Steve, the only thing, I, Steve, the only other thing I don't like about it is that I didn't shoot it. <laughs> I know I was going to say that, <laughs> Steve. I know Steve, you were going to say that too, right? What do, what do you think of this image? <laughs> no, I, I love it. I, you know, it's perfect. Really, it is. I mean, compositionally, it's it's always the little things that I'm aware of, and I'm really impressed that Peter was able to compose this in such a way that even the tiny hay bales throughout the scene, and they're very small in the scene, there's separation between mm. them. And, you know, it wouldn't have been a deal breaker if they would have overlapped, but I know as part of my process, I know that a slight little few millimeter change is going to make a huge difference amongst the elements, especially in the background there. But it was just, you know, unconsciously or subconsciously perfectly composed. And that, you know, speaks to, to Peter's talent. It's, uh, there's really nothing I would do in terms of uh, changing it in terms of the crop or, or anything. So, yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you. Peter, I just, it's uh, ironic or timely or whatever. I got an email from Brian Gudis and he just CC'd you on it. I'm looking at the email that just came in. Yeah, as we're speaking, yeah. He just, he's showing a, a print the iacrylic version of this image and in this in the photo it looks amazing can you see that i can't i've just actually received it just a few moments ago while, while we were chatting about the image it looks absolutely gorgeous yeah it's gonna be nice you have a place picked out to hang this thing i have yes <laughs> okay you have to promise once you get it and you hang it you have to take a photo of it and send a photo of it hanging to me so i get so send we can... you it straight away yeah yeah that's that's cool. Well, congratulations on this, man. It's a it's a great shot, and I feel validated that these two photographers, other photographers on the show, that are more professional than I am, validated my decision of picking this shot. You're being <laughs> so too I feel modest okay again, now. Frederick. 
Uh, no, you did uh, did the right thing, Frederick. For All sure. right, good. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. I mean, Steve. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Before we before we move on, um, I want to give a nod to one of our sponsors for this episode of Twip, and that's Shutterstock. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock sources images from around the world and puts them at your your fingertips. And many of the contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers and artists. And they review each image individually for content quality before adding them to the Shutterstock library. And they add about 10,000 images every single day. So every time you visit, you'll probably find something new. And Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose individual image packages or a monthly subscription for the best deal. So you can download 25 images per day with a standard subscription, or you can download any image at any time and pay only one single price. Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your most creative projects to the next level and they make it easy using sophisticated tools. You can search and drill down by subject, asset type, gender, emotion, color, and more. And they've added a new spectrum. You can sort images by color spectrum. And many creative teams use it to get inspiration and ideas. Plus, they've got an award-winning iPad app. You can search on the go and use the app to display images during your presentations. Now, Shutterstock is a complete global offering. They've got offices in more than a dozen countries, including Germany, China, Italy, Brazil, Belgium, etc. And they're a true global marketplace for buyers and creative contributors alike. They've got a multilingual customer service department with dedicated corporate representatives and full-time customer support through the week. And one of the images that I've found is normally we, we dive into Shutterstock to find a representative image for this week's episode of TWIP. And this week was no exception. I dove in because we were talking about government and government infringing on cloud services and that sort of thing. So I was looking for an image representative of government. And I found one. I found an image called the Golden Scales of Justice. It's got a gavel and books on a brown background. And that's the one that I picked from Shutterstock for this episode of TWIP. And you too can pick images from Shutterstock. You can just sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You just start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help you imagine what your next project might look like. And you can just go ahead and save those images to a light box for review later. Then if you decide that you want to purchase those images or those uh, the, the content from Shutterstock, you just use the offer code TWIP7, that's T-W-I-P-7, and new accounts will receive 30% off. That's a full 30% off indie package. Once again, that's Shutterstock.com. And for 30% off on new accounts, just use the offer code TWIP7. And we thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. Okay, let's jump into the news. The first story in the notes is titled, Hey, You, Government, Get Off of My Cloud. And so let me let me read this. It says... 
Last month, Twip listener Bruce, Bruce Toombs raised a vital question for photographers who back up to the cloud, and that question was, are our files safe? His question came up in light of a recent court case that's being fought by the EFF, or the Electronic Frontier Foundation, whom we've mentioned on the show with regard to their fight to save podcasts from patent trolls. But essentially, users of Mega Upload, which is an online storage solution, lost all access to their files when the U.S. government seized the company's property. And to add to this frustration, the government also acknowledged that it scoured the data from from users to use in their, their or scoured data from users to use in their investigation. So it became evidence, I guess. Um, so... I want to talk about this. So in, in during all of this, this meant that the users, all the data that they stored on the cloud or on the server that was owned by Mega Uploads was, um, was not accessible. So basically it was gone. They lost all rights to the data, just went away. The government went in and said, sorry, this is ours. Um, so Steve... Simon, I want to throw this to you first. You're you're the activist of the group here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. You are you are the globe-trotting activist of the group. How does this? Uh, what do you think about this? You know, as well, a, as a working photojournalist, you're out there, you're pounding the pavement. Are you working cloud technologies into your daily or your your workflow after shoots? Or when you look at something like this, does it make you nervous that hey, you know, I could lose this stuff and it could become evidence in a court battle? No, I, I think that, uh, you know, as, as part of any photographer's workflow, you have to expect that no archive, no one place is, is, is immune to, to going down or, or losing it, be it a hard drive, be it, uh, you know, something can happen to your hard drive. Something can happen, obviously, to the cloud. And, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. I, I think you recall, Frederick, uh, back in the day, there was a company called Digital Railroad. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. one of the first ones to sort of hit the scene, and, and it went away, too. So, you know, my expectation is that whatever you do, back it up redundantly, off-site, to a cloud, but when things are out of your control, you know, like in a cloud system, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, this kind of thing is bound to happen. So I, I'm not surprised. I just make sure that, um, you know, I'm, I'm redundantly backed up. I think these days, you know, being involved, like, with Aperture or Lightroom, because both those programs are great cataloging devices that, mm-hmm. you know, you may have a million images in your archive, but the reality is, you know, there's probably that you know, 2,500 five-star images, and those are the ones that, that need to be protected. Uh, and they need to be protected, you know, in, in different ways, not only redundantly in your own home, but then, you know, off-site, yep. cloud. And lastly, the I've said it before on this show that, you know, kind of ironically, maybe the most archival form of a digital image might be a print because now you can make these big beautiful prints like Peter's having done for his award-winning shot and those images are going to are going to last like you know 200 years with the technology longer than you know the the most archival silver gelatin prints so so I'm not surprised that this kind of thing happens I kind of expect it to yeah no no I I, I agree and you you hit it right on the head having multiple points of redundancy especially when it comes to something as as precious and irreplaceable as your images you know notwithstanding what any government might do if they seize that stuff yeah it's just this common sense to do that so peter i went there to you as a, as a you just started in photography not too long ago within the last two years where is your mind at with regard to safeguarding your photos and backup are you are you there yet in terms of you're thinking that you're creating a lot of data 
and you you might want to make sure you store it somewhere or is it just i'm just going to put it on my hard drive for now and i'll figure it out later um the, the last sort of six months or so i've i have been consciously thinking about better storage for my pictures because you know i've, I've built up quite a quite a substantial portfolio now and i have very precious images that uh, you know I, I would be devastated if i lost them um, so, so right now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just backing up to um, an external hard drive. I'm not actually backing up to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that I could maybe possibly do in After the future. this episode, I'm, you I'm will back up to the cloud. I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So Martin, Martin, looking at you with your, your, you know, you've been shooting for a while and you're sure you've got terabytes of images right there. It, what what's your methodology and which you know looking at this story does this kind of does this story make you nervous that if you put things on a cloud solution whether it's dropbox or whatever you know even google google drive whatever does that make you nervous to put stuff up there so yeah the, i mean i should start by saying that you're talking to mr paranoia here <laughs> good <laughs> I, I was talking with a friend a couple of days ago and i mentioned that i have my images on a drobo and I, i've got one of the new 5ds that i use um as my main storage now uh, but then he said do you trust them you know and you know sometimes these things go into like uh, the de- the data protection mode or whatever and it scares yes. the hell out of me but I, I said, uh, I said to him, you know, well, actually, this my Drobo is backed up to a second Drobo. Yeah, so that's what so, I do. Yeah, and and then that second Drobo is connected to a computer with a Backblaze account, and so all seven terabytes are also on Backblaze. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, literally for me, it's seven terabytes. Uh, I think it's just under seven terabytes now because I, I've got video in there as well as um, as well as photos. How many and years did it take to get seven terabytes? Oh well, I'm I'm lucky in that um, you know I've I mean I've got 160 megabits uh, per second uplink here. Yeah. I don't know how fast it actually goes up. I think it's something like 60 megabits a second. Yeah. Um. So and I actually choke it so that it doesn't use all of that. But uh, living in Tokyo, uh, I I've got the luxury of a of a fast uplink. I can get about 20 gigabytes a day up. But that does mean that I mean if something like this happened and the like like with mega upload going away. Uh, well, the data there, at least. Um, that would be the biggest annoyance for me, having to upload it again. Uh, because, you know, I'm not going to lose the data, but I having to upload it all again would probably take about a year or so. It would just be a major inconvenience, right? Right, right. Um, one other thing that I did want to mention, though, is that, uh, yeah, the, the word off-site has been used a couple of times. This paranoia here, uh, I, I actually, every year or so, I take a couple of old hard disks that I've, got hanging around and like you know ones that I've taken out of the drobo things like that and I'll uh, put them into a just a stand that connects them to my computer and then I'll I'll copy all of my files on there and I just send them to the UK and my brother's got like a whole stash of old hard disks in his in his loft space oh, so cool. I, I actually I mean especially with Japan being um you know we've got the possibility of of earthquakes always here there's all sorts that could happen I live near a, a large river that would probably uh, get a you know probably flood if we had something like the the east coast tsunami or tsunami come along again yeah. um and so it's you know i i have to keep something off site and sure the the cloud is one off site backup and that's my main off site backup but i do like to have physical disks somewhere as well 
And so, I've, I mean, I've got like four copies of all of my work. And then like Steve just said, I mean, there's, that's everything. That's all of the raw files that I've ever shot and not deleted. Um, but I, I also have a little two terabyte to hard drive that contains just my, my best shots. My, my, I think it's something like 4,000 images that I consider good enough to show people or sell or whatever. And they're also on a, on a, a hard drive that if I've not got a, a backup in the cloud of any of the images with me yet, if I leave the house just to go to the convenience store, that goes in my pocket. <laughs> you know, really? Like I said, I'm, par- I'm paranoid. But I, I, if I haven't got a cloud backup of the data that I come back, just say I just come back from uh, Namibia, uh, and it's literally the upload of all of the data and the, the video that I shot finished yesterday. And until yesterday, I was carrying the, the hard drive with me wherever I went. So I'm, I'm a little bit I didn't know that about you, Martin. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so it would. So it would be. Uh, is that a hard drive in your pocket, or are you just glad to see me? Kind of. Thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's it's quite a big. It's a it's a two and a half inch, but it's. <laughs> oh, this is going this is going badly. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the smaller it's size. It's not the size drive. that matters. <laughs> Yeah, it's the smaller size. It's not a big three and a half inch. Hard but you know drive. how to work it, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, that that thing, it's it's small enough. I mean, I actually, with me being in Japan, you know, how it is over here. A lot of people um, carry bags. I, I've usually got this little rucksack that I throw on my back, yeah. and so it's it goes in there, or it will go into the into the, the pocket on on my trousers. But um. I don't know. It's it's just that I I won't do it now until I shoot something else that I don't want to lose. But I just I've just got a, this horrible thought that it could all disappear it at could. some point. It could. But you, you know, my, the- my pet peeve your 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 pet mm. your thing is paranoia. My pet peeve or your pet peeve, Martin, is Boca, right? <laughs> um, my, one of my pet peeves is just the cloud term in general. You know, because it's. The entire internet is cloud. It's a, you know, it's just servers that are connected to the network. It's not a cloud. It's not going up into some, you know, it's not going to sit next to Zeus in a safe deposit box or something. You know, it's like it is the internet. The entire internet is a cloud. So when we say cloud storage or cloud software or cloud, I say it's just like it's just the internet. So I don't know. It just that bugs me. That's my pet peeve. I'm step, stepping off my rent box, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about, so there, uh, Jeff Barrel is a guy that runs uh, and started Drobo Data Robotics and also uh, Connected Data. And um, he he's a, I talk to him all the time and he's a data expert, right? He's one of these people that is passionate about data security, which is one of the reasons why he started Connected Data and built that transporter product, which essentially, in speaking with him, he and I were having lunch and he said, well, this is, you know, when he was explaining the product to me initially, he said, this is your Dropbox. Essentially, it's a Dropbox, but it can't be seized by the government, <laughs> you know, unless you're doing something crazy and they come into your house. Whereas with with Dropbox, according to Jeff, if, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, um, the government, much like with Meg Upload, can go in and say, okay, we need this. This is ours. If it's at your home or at your residence, which is where the physical data resides on these things, then it you own it. So, Steve, looking at that, with one of these devices, you plug it into your network at home, you give it some power, and you set it up. Now you have a Dropbox, which is 
at your house and you can put another one say at Martin's house in Japan and have them mirror each other and build that build in that kind of redundancy would you go that far as a photographer to safeguard your data like that or is that just is that just too much is that like you know there's too many layers of paranoia on top of that and it's not that serious what do you think See, for me it's not so much the the worry about the government stepping in and and you know seizing or 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 blocking me from getting in but the idea of sort of having control and if you can have a cloud system that maybe gave you a little more control. And again, it would just be one facet of my backup strategy. Um, I do like that idea because, you know, I kind of know where it is. Uh, it's easier to understand how it all is, is working. And, you know, I, w I would go with that. And I would also, you know, continue to have sort of a, a greater cloud that might be more susceptible to any kind of, um, uh, you know, intervention, I guess. But, you know, I, I think the, the more you're, you're backed up, the more redundant your backup is, particularly with those, you know, five-star images. I mean, we all, you know, as Martin said, he's got everything he ever shot in RAW, you know, uh, somewhere and backed up. But it's those five-star images. Those would be the ones that would be, you know, devastating to lose. So, you know, I think those, it's great to secure your, your entire archive. But, you know, you want to make sure that um, those precious ones are, are, are you know, going gonna, to gonna last forever. And, yeah. you know, in the digital realm, it's, it's one of our kind of uh, question mark. Uh, it's, it's the one thing that, you know, digital photography is a bit of a leap of faith. I mean, it's pretty amazing what we've got with these drives and these cards. But, you know, it, maybe film was a little easier to understand. It was tangible. You had that yep. negative in slide. You understood it a little bit more. And, and uh, you know, there, there's my answer. Well, I mean, even even with film, though, Steve, you couldn't, you couldn't back that up, really. I mean, you could, you could dupe it or try to dupe it, but there'd be some quality loss. But you couldn't, you couldn't make a backup. You had a single point of failure. If you had all your negatives in, in one house and that house was burglarized or it flooded or burned to the ground all that stuff is gone yeah great great reminder you're absolutely right about that you're, that's true so you have to kind of have maybe a second set of prints i don't know anyone who who went to the, the extent of, of doing um sort of a second set of negatives but at least you know when you have that negative and you put it in for example uh um safety deposit box you're you're relatively secure that you know, it's going to be there. It's not going to fail. It's not going to fail after time. And with digital stuff, um, everything is deteriorating. Everything will fail. And and are you going to, you know, can you get your zip drive information out now? It's you not know, so easy. I found some of those. I had, you remember those jazz discs? That yes, yes. I had, I have some of those. I My found them the other day. Tell me about it. Absolutely. I don't, I can't find the drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. There's the there lies the problem. I mean, yeah. I I think you'll you'll be able to find someone who can help you with that, but you know, eventually you won't. And um, anyway, that's yeah. it's it's an ongoing uh, issue for for all of us. I think the takeaway from all this is, yeah, I mean, you could you could you go the Martin route and be paranoid and carry data around with you, which is good because if you Martin's going to be one laughing when when something when disaster strikes and he's got his images. You know, as as things are happening and they're safe, you know, um, and the rest of us are like, well, I'm just going to shoot new images. I don't care about those. <laughs> well, when I'm on the road, one thing I do do is that after I've 
shot, and then I've downloaded my cards to my computer and then back them up, I take that card and rather than put it in the rotation, I keep it, um, I keep it in a separate or in the same wallet just turned over that it's been exposed. Uh, just in case something happens to my stuff at the hotel or where I'm staying, I've got my entire shoot with me. Sort of yeah. like Martin, I'm a little bit paranoid that way yeah. on the road. Do you guys, do you guys think all, all three of you, do you, do you think there's a time in the future where maybe our kids or our kids' kids are going to get to the point where there's no such thing as local storage or the norm is you shoot and it just gets stored in the cloud automatically bypassing any kind of internal storage? Is that Martin or Martin, you think that's a, that's a possibility in the future? I, I think it's, it's totally possible. Um, I, I reckon we're going to see, cause we, we've already seen, uh, the, proof of concepts for like terabyte multi-terabyte cards like mm -hmm. like as big as your thumbnail um so i mean I, I reckon it'll be a case of things will just go into the camera and then they'll automatically sync somewhere um and we won't have to worry about it anywhere near as much as we do now but i think even then i'm still going to be the one that's that's like trying <laughs> Martin, trying i know to you're going to be the guy with the with the ten thousand dollar pair of Google glasses with twelve terabytes of storage, <laughs> so that you could yeah. just have a folder of your VIP imagery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm probably always going to want to keep something local, but I think there'll be a time when it just becomes the norm. Um, yeah, it'll all disappear into the background. Yeah. Uh, it's like keyboards and things like that. I mean, we still, we're still using a keyboard to input data. Um, it's you know voice recognition is going to continue to improve, and I, I think the keyboard will go away. Even if even if we tap keys, we'll probably at some point soon be tapping keys in midair or something. Yeah. It, it's all going to change, and we'll we'll get used to it. And and when it becomes the norm, we you know the the paranoia of of things like having to keep a hard copy will probably start to disappear as well. I think Martin, I think you're being a little optimistic with that we thing because we will be long gone when that stuff shows up. <laughs> it will be our I, I offspring that are enjoying the fruits <laughs> of technology at that point and holographic keyboards and thought yeah. processors. And all that. I, I, re I reckon we'll see stuff like that start to happen in the next 20, 30 years. So if we, if we don't pop our clogs for a little bit longer, we should be fine. Ah, um, I'll be long gone. 30 but, years, I'm out of here. I'm <laughs> well, I'll probably be Skyping you in 30, 30 years and saying, hey, Frederick, you remember that conversation? my cloud buddy don't bother me at this. <laughs> leave me alone i just want to learn how to play my harp and it'll all be good <laughs> all right all right guys let's move on to the next story this next one is um about magic lantern i'm curious to know whether the canon guys on the panel here have hacked or jailbroken their canon gear to do all this crazy stuff so basically this story is Magic Lantern, the company, has um, added three stops of light, which is, I think that's beyond the realm of physics, actually. Three stops of light to the 5D Mark III and the 7D through a firmware upgrade uh, to enable this thing. Um, I'm looking through the notes here. So, it, three stops of light. So, you, through just changing some bits around inside the so software of the camera, somehow... Now, 5D Mark III's and 7D's can bend space and time and manipulate dark matter in order to give you the data that you want in a scene. Martin, have you hacked your, your Canon cameras with this uh, Magic Lantern software? 
I never have, but I, I think it's totally totally viable. You know, looking at what they're doing, this is this is something similar to what I've been predicting for a, a while. In that I, I've said that um, it's there's probably going to come a time pretty soon where cameras will will intelligently, you know, then that's not normally something that I think of as synonymous with cameras, but it intelligently look at a scene and increase the sensitivity on a per pixel basis. That's what I was thinking. It'll be like one pixel will be ISO 100 and then the, the pixels in the that are looking at shadow areas will be, I don't know, 6400 and we'll end up with like a 24 EV um, dynamic range. And I, I've, I've been thinking that this is going to probably happen at some time, at some point. And what these guys are doing is they're, they're apparently... They, the sensors have got the ability, it's just not turned on in the camera, but they've got the ability to have a different ISO for the horizontal line of pixels or for one line of pixels, and then another line of pixels can be a different, um, a different ISO. Mm-hmm. And they're setting one at, say, at ISO 100 and one at 1600. And then obviously that's going to give you the ability to, to increase the dynamic range. But, you know, I mean, it's still... It seems yeah, I was going to say that like, almost sounds like HDR on a on a line by line basis, where well, it's yeah, you know, it, it's exposing it, it's it's recording image data on a line by line basis at, at varying ISOs, and then using some sort of algorithm to blur it all together to to give you that higher ISO. Is that is that fair? And, uh, that sounds like what they're doing. Um, I I would say though that you know I mean I I've also mentioned this when I've talked about the per pixel um, ISO thing. I'm I'm not sure I even want more uh, dynamic range. Uh, it's nice to have the the twelve or so that we've got right now, but nine times out of ten, I get home after a shoot and start to plug. You know, on purpose, I'll grab the black slider and start to plug up my shadows. Anyway, I like the shadows. I think it's what defines the photograph. Yeah. yeah. So I don't necessarily. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't do HDR very often. If I'm in a very very um, you know contrasty scene where I've got. I rarely use ND gradual NDs anymore. I'll, I'll, if necessary, I'll grab two shots and merge them together. Um, but I, I generally like to see the dark areas dark. And although it's our eyes have probably got more like twenty-four stops of of dynamic range as opposed to twelve or fourteen or what or whatever your camera has, um, I think that we in a photograph, I like to use the shadows artistically, and so. It doesn't. I, I probably won't use this. Uh, I, I've never used a, a magic lantern uh, hack anyway, uh, and not because I'm, I'm curious, not against. Martin, from from your Sam, you're you're in a variety of situations. You're all over the place. You know, I think snow monkeys. I think, you know, in you're you shoot in a variety of challenging situations, and your workshops are going on. You're teaching people how to do this stuff. So there's not a whole lot of margin for error when you're when you're out there doing this. You can say, oh, hey, wait, let me figure this out, or my camera's not doing. When you when you're out there when you're with your gear, what would you say is missing? Like, what's the what's the one feature that you'd say like, okay, everything's great right now, but I could be such a better photographer if I had X. Is it lower light sensitivity? Is it you know more frames per second? Is it what 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 do you need to be better? Or are you good right now with what you have? Oh well, I'm I'm happy with what I have, but there's always room for improvement, and and I think that the the thing that I really want to happen, and it's on the same vein as what we're talking about at the moment, 
is the ability to tell the camera to expose just no don't set the the shutter speed as such tell it you give it maybe a minimum shutter speed that you want it to use so that you can stop cam, uh, subject blur or camera blur yeah. but i want to be able to tell the camera to just keep exposing until you hit like you you overexpose i don't know 1 or 3 or 5% of the image and then stop the stop the shutter you know close the shutter and if I can get the camera to do that, I mean, some some flash when you're doing flash work, some some of them will uh, will allow you to to do just that. Continue to pump flash into the scene until it starts to overexpose and then stop. I, I want that with like, especially for landscape work or things like that, where where the shutter speed is not so important. I, I would love to be able to just tell the camera to keep going with the exposure until X percent of the of the image is overexposed and then stop. So you need more. You need more computer control in there. What you're saying. That's yeah. That's interesting. Steve, what about you? Are you are you a purist? Are you just are you the old guy that's saying, "Hey, I just want my my f-stops, shutter speeds, and ISO. That's all I need." <laughs> no, I totally want to take advantage of uh, the technology. So I will give up control to the camera if it's in my best interest. And you know, Martin uh, talked a little bit about auto ISO, where you can set a minimum shutter speed, because you know, in my experience. If an image is blurred and it's not, and that blur is not helping the picture, it's likely hurting it, and usually it's shutter speed. So, mm. you know, especially with the more me- megapixels you have, it reveals you know, the shortcomings in your technique and camera shake, etc. So, I take full advantage of auto ISO, for example, um, which I think is awesome. I set my minimum shutter speed to you know one four hundredth of a second with my thirty six megapixel D eight hundred because I know that uh, even though one two fiftieth used to be my kind of minimum stop the camera shakes, you know, freeze, you know, most subject movement, generally speaking, I've upped it a little with, with all those megapixels. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I would love to see, and I saw Hasselblad, and I've never used it, had, had it, and that is an autofocus system that knows that when you've locked in the focus and recompose, it kind of consents if you've lost that plane of focus, which means that it'll, you know, compensate for that and give you a sharp image because... You know, I'm very careful when I lock and recompose, particularly when I'm shooting fairly wide open, which is a lot of the time, because I like that sliver of depth of field and the bokeh (laughs) that you get from that. I I knew you were dancing around that word. (laughs) Don't make Martin mad, please. I mean, maybe. Have you guys used that Hasselblad? Because apparently when you recompose, it knows if you've kind of lost that flame at that plane of focus and kind of, you know, compensates. Now, I don't know how well it works, but I think that would be awesome if, if more DSLRs had that kind of thing. Steve, in your, in your world, how has post-processing changed the way that you think and shoot when you're out there with the camera in your hands? In other words, like if you're in aperture or you're, 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 you're using aperture, if you're in aperture or Photoshop and, you know, you're using a, an image that you absolutely had to use an extremely high ISO on it, as a result, you have noise in it. Do you, when you're out shooting, are you like making those decisions now? Have you come to that point where you're like, oh, I could rescue this shot later. I'm going to take it. <laughs> you know? well, I mean, I'm always kind of a best camera or best, you know, capture in the camera best you can. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Martin, I want to, I want to overexpose without going over. So, you know, I'm checking that histogram. Sometimes I put the blinkies on, but sometimes I find them annoying. I, I rather just look at the histogram. I know that at least with my Nikon, I'm looking at a, 
a JPEG histogram, even though I'm shooting raw. So I also know that even though it looks as though I've clipped a little from experience, I could, you know, bring in that detail. So, you know, there's no substitute for experience if you want to learn. And I think, I think Peter's a great example of this because it sounds like he's shooting all the time. He's only been shooting since, you know, what was it, 2010 or whatever. I mean, that's amazing that he, he got such a, an amazing shot. It sounds like he's doing great work, but you got to sort of do, go through the volume. Really, that's the best way to, to learn. So yeah, I'm, 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 um, I'm always kind of, pushing the limits a little bit, but uh, I, I have that pillow of raw to land on. So when I do screw up, I can usually fix it and, you know, no one has to know. I mean, I'll tell you guys if you guys don't <laughs> tell anyone else, but, but no one has to know because they won't see it in the image. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Peter, when you, when, you know, I want to throw this question to you from a, you know, you're, you're kind of new to the party, you know, in, in terms of these guys. I've been shooting for, for decades. When you when you look at your camera and you go out and you're going to shoot, do you lust for a certain kind of feature that's missing from your camera in order to let you do that? Or are you still in the in the mindset of I'm just learning all the features that are there? Have you hit that wall of I really wish it could just do this thing and then everything would be great? Yeah, well, um, as I mentioned before, I, I do a lot of um, astrophotography, um, like earth and sky shots. So I have a foreground subject. Uh, I do a lot of star trail photography. Mm. Um, so, you know, when, when I'm out in the field and I'm, and I'm taking photographs, because I've, I've learned how to layer mask images in Photoshop, um, I consciously think about that when I'm, when I'm out there with the camera. So, like, like you said before, I take a picture and I think, oh, well, I can just sort that out later mm -hmm. um but but yeah when when i'm out in the field there, there is one feature that i would really really love to see on on the canons um i, I don't know if it's on any uh, any other models apart apart from mine um but i would really love to see um a, a live view bulb mode because I, I do lots of uh bulb mode long exposures um and i would really like to see that image just sort of appearing on the screen i've seen it once before on a really old olympus camera and i thought wow that that would just be so perfect for for what i do you, wow. you know there's there's a, a mirrorless uh, camera that does that now and i forget which one it is it might be the sony or but there's one where you can actually you can see the image coming up on the camera it's a new a new camera that's out now yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool i'll look it up there's, yeah, there's I, nothing it, worse than, than standing there for, for like four minutes. When, when I do a, a bulb exposure as well, I always uh, I turn on the noise reduction feature. Um, but it, it would be just so, so nice to just see that image appearing. You just know when to press stop instead of waiting four minutes, five minutes or whatever. And then, oh, oh dear, it's, it's overexposed. It's burnt out, you know. Yeah. You, you know Don't what? Forget, if I, you know, if I can offer a little bit of a, a little bit of advice there, what I normally do if I'm going to be going into bulb mode is I crank the ISO up first, or I'll change the um, the aperture, and I'll make a few a few adjustments in a set number of stops. So I, you know, then I can count back easily to my longer exposure. So rather than going straight for the long exposure and then missing it, do something with say ISO I don't know twelve twelve. 1,800 or something first and mm -hmm. then drop back down, you know, count back in, in stops. So you, you'd go to, I don't know, 64, then just keep coming back down in, in three clicks on your camera, things like that, until yeah. you get to the point where you, where you know that you want to be and then you can do your long exposure. It, All right, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's saves Golden you. valuable advice from Martin. Look at that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a smart one. Never thought about. Yeah, I'll take that on board next time. Yeah. Love it. All right, guys, let's move on. Um, this this hour just flew by. I want to give a before we continue with the listener Q and A. I want to give a, a thanks to our other sponsor for this episode, and that is Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. Since its platform upgrade last fall, Squarespace just keeps rolling out new product features, integrations, and templates. And to make sure you get the most from their recent innovations, Squarespace has a 24-7 support team providing live chat during the week and extremely fast email support throughout the day and night. Plus, Squarespace is exceptionally well-designed. They've got an award-winning design team who regularly adds smart new features and amazing design templates. For example, they just added a new calendar feature called the events collection that allows you to share schedule updates um, for example sale events or band tour dates or etc whatever you want to throw on a calendar and share out to your users you can do it using the new events collection plus they've released a beautiful new template called momentum which has cinematic full bleed image display which is perfect for photographers and designers looking to square to showcase their design and their photographs. Squarespace gives you and your website users the best mobile experience. They've developed templates, for example, with responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures and reformats itself to look great on any device, whether it be a smartphone, a tablet, or a computer. Plus, they connect all of your social media accounts. You can publish to and from social media with just a few clicks. You can, they refresh your site content from all the places that you like to post. For example, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Google+, uh, LinkedIn, and more. Squarespace integrates basically all of your website needs into one platform, whether it be domains, design, development, commerce, hosting, plus they wrap it all up with 24-7 customer support. So if you'd like a free trial, you can head over to squarespace.com. You can sign up for your free account. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, start building your website. Then if you decide you want to purchase that website, use the offer code TWIP7 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And that includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget to don't forget about the free domain registrations for annual plan uh, customer subscriptions. Once again, that's squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP7. It's everything you need to create an exceptional website. Okay, guys, it's time for our listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. And this week's question is from Matt. He says, I shoot with a Sony NEX7, the kit lens, and the 24mm Zeiss, and I love it. However, being an architect and lover of all things automotive, I am keen to step up uh, my commitment to shooting uh, these two technical disciplines. So he wants to shoot architecture and cars. He's wondering, should I invest in the Sony or sell it and reinvest in a system with a wider range of good glass, particularly wide angle. Steve Simon, let me throw this to you first. So, you know, paraphrase this question, Matt was Matt is shooting a smaller APS-C NEX7 sensor and he's wondering is that okay for what he wants to do? And that's automotive and architecture. What do you think? 
well, I think um, it sounds like you might butt up against some uh, obstacles that that system you know doesn't allow. For example, like a DSLR, you can get uh, tilt shift lenses that that you can use, and of course you can go even further into you know bellows, large format, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I think definitely uh, you know the commitment, uh, if he's really committed to it and doesn't mind carrying the the bigger equipment, he'll certainly. Uh, sail past certain um, uh, blocks that the mirrorless system is is you know gonna gonna be able to uh, uh, you know I, I suppose in post processing he can do things but if he really wants to get into things currently now I, I think maybe it's it's something to consider and that is uh, you know getting into a, a DSLR with um, with uh, you know tilt shift lenses, if, if he's an architect, um, you know maybe he can afford it. So, yeah. so you know that might be. So you're you're a Nike, you're Nikon. You got the you have the D eight hundred, which is represents the, you know the incredible Hulk of image sensors <laughs> right now. Right. Hulk smash right now with with your camera. What what do you think about that camera? I mean, you know, you're you're a diehard Nikon shooter like I am. You know, I have my Nikon gear and all that. But give me your, your give us your honest opinion on that large file size that that thing produces. Do you need it all? All that. What what what's the bottom line on the D800? Well, my my first thought without using it was, wow, 36 megapixels. You know, cool. I could I could you know maybe I don't have to invest forty thousand dollars in a medium format. But the reality is, and why. I really love that camera for its high resolution, and surprisingly, we haven't seen um, other cameras yet come out um, at that uh, resolution. Is that you can dive into a D800 file and fall deep into it and find within the frame a small section of it that is, you know, maybe. A picture that you wish you had shot initially, but instead it's only a small part of that frame. And then you can crop it and pull it out. And especially in the Nikon system, when you're used to 12 megapixels, which was sort of the previous iteration, I mean, you can make a big, beautiful print out of that. So yeah. for me, being able to dive within the frame and pull out stronger compositions, I think helps to make me even a, a better photographer because I think seeing them within the frame, using them within the frame, and then, you know, that might fast-track me in the field to sort of shortcut to those uh, compositions that maybe I was either a little bit lazy or I hadn't really seen it that way. So it sounds like that's that the, the phrase that I pinned to that, Steve, is it's almost like harvesting organs. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying you're, to say. You're going yes. into an image and you're like, "Hey, this liver's still good. I'm going to get that out." Here. Exactly. No, that's maybe a good analogy. Sure, but it's true. It's so true, and that's what 36 megapixels, you know, really can be used for, because most of us are not necessarily going to make those giant prints where we're going to see the 36 megapixels. And I, you know, I, that's that's where I've really noticed. Um, how how cool it is to have that extra resolution. Yeah. Martin, what about you? So you're, what would you say to Matt? He's got that, that Sony NEX, loves architecture and automotive, and he's on the fence about jumping to something different. Should he stick with the Sony NEX, or should he go full frame or even APS-C larger sensor camera? 
And I would, I mean, it depends when he says automotive, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's, he's talking about standing at a tracks, trackside photographing mm, cars, zipping around a, a track. So if he is, I mean, most people that are doing that sort of work are using 300 millimeters and, and, you know, a, a DSLR with, with really good focus and all of that. And although I think the, the mirrorless cameras, the focus on some of them is really snappy. Uh, of course, you know the thing that you do start to lose is the is the really long end where you've you've got good autofocus, uh, 300 millimeters and longer. You know you can do it quite easily with with manual focus. And if you were to you know for with relatively cheap old lenses as well, uh, use a few. There are adapters and things. Um, but I'm not up on this enough to be able to say yes, you can do this with the with the NEX7. I'm I'm not sure what's available for that. But I've seen people um, using like the equivalent of 12, uh, 1200 millimeters um, to shoot birds and things, but it's manual focus. So if you really need the autofocus, which you probably will, then you might end up having to having to go for a, a, a decent um, DSLR with a long lens. But it's going to cost a fortune. You know, I mean, the, the lenses that you uh, that you would need to really do that well are going to cost quite a lot. So much, in fact, that I would say don't even sell the NEX to put your money towards it because it's going to be like a pea in the ocean. You you would, um, and that's a pea as in a vegetable. Um, <laughs> but, um, I was thinking, the, wow, Mark, yeah, you go, yeah. man. It's a good analogy either way. It's, a, it's the same so, thing either uh, way, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the... As Frederick was saying earlier, you know, you, you, it doesn't have to be one or the other. A lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to end up buying myself a mirrorless at some point in the relatively near future um, because I, I would love to be able to leave the house with, with such a small amount of gear. Yep. But there are still going to be times when I want my super whacking long lenses yep. and the frame rate and all of that. And so I'm probably going to end up maintaining two two lines of cameras at some point. Isn't it funny though? I mean, it's just like since I since I've been on this journey to find my OMD and I was looking at the Fuji X100s and all that. It's just so funny how how uh, how photographers are are binary. You know, it's like it has to be either if you're going to go with a micro four thirds system, you're you're now a micro four thirds shooter. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. You're no longer a Nikon shooter or whatever. You're micro four thirds. It, it, it can't be a blurred line between the two. Like, you know, it can't be, OK, I'm going to go shoot this thing like Martin saying, I'm going to go shoot this thing and I need my D700 or my D7000 to go shoot that or I'm going over here and I think my my Olympus OMD might be great for that. I'm going to take that with yeah. me. You yeah. know, how come we can't just have how come we can't all just get along? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they're tools. So I mean, you know, it's nice if you have the luxury of having all these tools, but at the same time, in my experience, I mean, you have to know your camera and it takes a while to really know your camera to the point where it just kind of disappears unless you just use it in a way that you know it just you know becomes a part of you and you can get what you really need so if you have too much stuff i mean that's kind of an albatross Uh, you want to be kind of lean but you want to have the tools 
that you know well that yep. could do the job that you want to you want to accomplish. That's a that's a huge point, Steve, right there. Because a, a lot of people in this episode, or actually originally, we were uh, Patrick, the the guy that put the show notes together. We had originally he had originally concepted this show as being about gear and how gear doesn't matter. And I I kind of said, well, we've beat that to death, so we went with this topic instead. But that's a great point, Steve. How the a dearth or a uh, an overabundance of gear is actually a detriment to you becoming a good photographer because you can't learn it much like zoom lenses in you know in many cases can be a detriment to you actually understanding intrinsically how a certain focal length behaves and how it delivers a certain bokeh you know <laughs> as you're trying <laughs> as you're as you're trying to get that get those neurons built in pathways built in your mind about how okay this camera shoots like that and now I know what I want to get when I aim it at that particular scene so I don't know I don't know so Peter Peter what are you shooting with like what what when you go out what's what's in your kit like the normal kit that you take out with you uh, right now I'm using the Canon 600D. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before the first camera I bought was the 550D. Um, the, the reason why I upgraded to the 600D was because it's got a flip-out screen. Um, so as as I started uh, progressing as a, a photographer, I, like I mentioned numerous times, I, I developed a taste for astrophotography. Um, so you know, I wanted a I wanted a, a camera that you know I didn't have to lay on the floor in puddles and wet grass to you know look up at the screen because I'm always pointing the, the camera upwards, um, and I always want wide angle lenses as well, and especially for um, Milky Way shots and um, meteor showers and things like that. I, I really want to get as much of the the sky in as possible. Same with the landscapes. I mean, the uh, the, the rainbow shot, uh, the heavens have opened. That was taken with the Canon ten to twenty two millimeter at ten millimeters. Yep. And I just wanted to get everything in it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You now, Steve, Steve, I'm looking. Well, Peter was talking. I pulled up um, uh, prices on the D eight hundred. So it's still at almost three grand for the body only. So. We, you, I mean, you know, it, it's all variable, right? Depending if if you're making your money from photography, and you know, of course, this is just a cost of doing business. But is three thousand dollars for the body? Is that worth thirty six point three megapixels right now? Um, well, I mean, I I think so. I mean, the fact is, uh, you know, it's the only camera. DSLR anyway at that level as far as I know right mm-hmm. now I mean that, yeah. that might change um, you know it, it's 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 priced in that range I mean it's a professional camera it's it's a slower camera than the D700 it replaces mainly because it's pushing 36 mega, megapixels through um, the pro you know the XP processor um, and, and that's a lot of resolution but uh, you know it's kind of unique in that way I mean I like the idea, again, just to be able to, uh, you know, have a deep uh, file with all that resolution. Uh, for me, you know, it makes sense. It may not, it, it certainly isn't going to make sense for, for everybody. Because you want to you wanna pull that liver out of there if you need to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, you never know. A little liver, so. some lungs, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, it, it is true. I mean, the files are, are incredible. But again, you also have to be ready for it because 
36 megapixels reveals shortcomings in the lenses, and that means you have to invest in sort of the A-team lenses, and they're more expensive. Uh, your technique's got to be on. So, I mean, you buy that camera, and if you're new to photography, it may just be too much camera for you until you're kind of, uh, you've learned to the point where you can take advantage of it all. Yeah. Real quick. What, what, is the, what is the price range for those particular lenses, Steve? Well, you know, it, it does vary, Peter, but again, we're talking usually, um, you know, the fast lenses. So the zooms are all 2.8 for the most part, the ones they recommend, particularly for the D800E, which is the same camera only without the anti-alias filter. So there's, there's even more sharpness revealed. Um, and, uh, you know, again, 36 megapixels, if you used a, a cheaper uh, lens, um, you know, the, you're, you, are, you are paying for something uh, with the, 20, the big 24 glass. to 70 f2.8 uh, for the full frame Nikon, you're looking yeah, at about $1,900. $1,900, yeah. For that one lens. That's the same for the Canon. Similar. Right, hey, right, Martin. It's it's kind of a similar deal. Yeah, yeah. The the Canon F two eight twenty four to seventy is nineteen hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you, the, you, this is this is a this is a big boys game. <laughs> so this, these are the tables. These are the tables in Vegas that I walk by and I try not to make eye contact because I know I can't sit down there. <laughs> right. But you know, it it really is a system of lenses with interchangeable cameras because. Peter, if you invest in a high-quality Canon lens or a Nikon lens, I mean, you'll have it your entire photographic life. And, you know, the cameras are going to change. We know it, you know. And even though, you know, you can stop now, and I think a lot of us would be very happy, they're not going to. And, and they're just going to keep improving. But the lenses, um, you know, you can, you can use very old, high-quality lenses, and, and you're going to have them forever. And you'll notice a big difference when you have a high-quality lens versus sort of a cheaper, slower uh, zoom. I love that. I love that, that phrase, Steve. Steve that the, what, what did you say? Interchangeable cameras. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Look at that. Coin and phrases left and right. Steve Simon. <laughs> they need to be future proof for that price. You're right. Well, You're right about well, that. You know, you know what? They're only future proof to a degree, though, because as the resolution improve, increases, the, the camera doesn't, can't, act, can't resolve to that, to the amount that the lenses do. And so, I mean, this is why you see the version 2 lenses and things coming out. I, I think, you know, the, when I first bought a digital camera, it was 3 megapixels. And at that point, any, any glass you threw on it was, was going to be fine. But uh, it soon, when we got to 6 and then 10 and then 12, you know, as the megapixels go up, they out-resolve the lenses. So well. it, it's, it's true to a degree but you can you can find yourself but you know the best thing like steve says though is to, is to buy if you buy the best stuff the best lenses tend to last longer they're much more future proof than the than the lower end. Isn't that crazy how we, we obsess over these new cameras with all this cool stuff, but the things that stay around are our lenses, our lights, our tripods, everything but the camera body stays around for a lifetime, but we obsess over the camera body. It's yeah, <laughs> true. But you know, the lenses now that are coming out, I mean, even the high quality, because certainly the Nikon system, the F-mount 1959, there are certain old lenses that work really well on the D800, mm. and, and they were out, you know, before digital photography was even anyone's, you know, uh, was ever, ever even a thought. I think, too, that, you know, 
the manufacturers now, when they invent, when they come out with these high-end lenses, I think the anticipation is there. I, I know they have a roadmap, and they know kind of maybe in three years what the megapixelage is going to be. I think a lot of these high-end lenses can resolve beyond 36 megapixels. But you're right, Martin. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, hard to know. When I get out of my flying car in 12 years from now <laughs> and grab my, my D1700, um, you know, who knows what, what's going to be happening. Hey, Steve, we were promised flying cars by 2000. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we, we, yeah. we passed that deadline. I know. I know. And, and frankly, you know, living in Silicon Valley, I'm, I'm okay with no flying cars because we're <laughs> having trouble with, with two dimensions, let alone three. So. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. We don't need the up and down going on around here. <laughs> All right, guys, let's, uh, let's, let's close this thing out. Let's jump into the picks of the week. This is the uh, segment where you guys can pick something to recommend to the listeners as long as it is somehow related to photography. Peter, you are the new guy on This Week in Photo, so I want to give you the honors of going first. What is your pick of the week? Okay, my pick of the week um, is to encourage any other photographers out there to, um, to get on Viewbook, which is, which is where you found my picture, which is... Which, which is how I won this competition, which has given me, you know, huge recognition. Um, I mean, I, I have the honor of coming on this show and talking to you guys. I mean, you guys have so much more experience than, than I do. Um, so, you know, most of the time I'm sat here listening and learning and, you know, j- just feeling inspired, basically. So I, I, I just urge anybody to, to just get on that website, upload your pictures and, and just take part, just get your photos into the competitions and you know you, you never know what might happen yeah yeah viewbug is viewbug is a great site and it's uh, it's one of the reasons why i chose them and i was kind of on the hunt for a while to find someone to help me run these contests and there's there's plugins for wordpress that that help you run contests and they just didn't do it or you could do it you know there's a number of ways you can do it then i discovered viewbug i think viewbug may have discovered us actually and we started that dialogue, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. <laughs> so so uh, here we are. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great that what they're doing allows the amazing work of people that are, especially just, like just getting into photography, like you, Peter, like, just getting into it, are able to expose their amazing work to this gigantic crowd of people. Like I was telling, over 70,000 votes on the viewer's choice uh, for for the viewer's choice version of the prize was just insane. I couldn't get my brain around that. Seventy thousand, that's insane. That's like that's like a ballpark full of people with overflow outside on the parking lot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So cool, per- Peter. That's a perfect pick. Thank you. So viewbug.com. All right, Martin. What's your pick of the week? Um, before I get into that, I want to just say that it's been a pleasure talking with Peter, mainly be, not because just because of his, his really beautiful photography, but it's been really nice to listen to someone else that pronounces you's as O's. And <laughs> so, you know, you're u- uploading your... The rest of the world has your, a speech uh, impediment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've, I've actually been trying to speak a lot clearer than i would normally I'm, I'm trying to dilute my accent as much as possible <laughs> while i'm on here yeah, don't do I, that I've, be I've yourself few, man. Come on. 
I've, I've noticed a few ing's that actually end in g and not n. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we have to try as uh, as Northern England people. Um, okay, so my pick of the week. I'm I'm about to release a podcast episode in which I'll talk partly about a new uh, piece of uh, new media from Breathing Color, my favorite uh, inkjet. Mm. Well, they do, they do more than inkjet, but my favorite uh, paper company in Canvas, they have just brought out a, a new kind of paper called Vibrance Metallic, and it's actually a true metallic inkjet paper. And that is, I, I printed my first few images off on that, and it's just blown me away. I'm not normally a gloss uh, paper person. I love to use matte papers, but this, this stuff has got a depth and almost a 3D feel to it that I haven't seen in, a, in an inkjet print so far. So I'm just uh, totally overwhelmed with this paper at the moment. Now, is this, um, so, is this, so it's a metallic sort of surface paper. If I look at this, you know, sitting next to my regular sort of like Epson paper that I'd run through my, my 3800, what, hmm. what am I going to see different? Is this going to pop off the page? More vibrant colors, more contrast? What am I seeing different on this? Yeah, the the colors are off the chart. They uh you you can see straight away that the the colors. I mean, I profiled it and whenever I whenever I create an ICC profile for a new paper, I I print out this like 1700 color patch chart and as soon as that came out of the printer, I could see that it was special. But then when you when you actually print, yeah, the the image has got a have got a depth that I've not seen in in inkjet photographs. It's just um, you really need to. I mean, I could even send send me one of your one of your best photos, Frederick, and I'll I'll print it out and send it you back. Okay. Um, cool. It's it's just some it's something special. I mean, some images work better than others. It's I found that like I mean, I've got a lot of winter photos, and they don't work. They look beautiful, but not quite as much as images with big swaths of of color or or rich black and white images look just totally beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, th- this stuff is is really nice. I'm really excited about it, and uh, it you can find them at breathingcolor.com. But if you, I mean, they they have a trial roll of this stuff for twenty four ninety five, and I've got one of those codes that they use to track who who is uh, who's going over to the site through my uh, recommendation. And if you use the code MBP twenty, you get twenty dollars off. So you could basically get the tr- a trial roll. Um, for just five dollars, and then you'd still have to pay the package, probably packaging depending on where you are. Um, but um, yeah, this MBP twenty for twenty percent, uh, twenty dollars off. You can buy. They have uh, eight and a half by eleven inch sheets and thirteen by nineteen as well. If you don't have a roll printer, uh, but it's really really nice stuff. That's cool. That's cool. And where where is Breathing Color located in the world? They're in LA. Oh. I uh, yeah, I, I drove over to see their um, you know their their Nick Friend is their CEO, mm-hmm. and uh, and a guy called Adam Hill is their marketing VP, and uh, they I've got a really a really good relationship with these guys, and and it's not be, I mean I don't recommend their stuff because of that relationship that we built that relationship because I love their their paper so love it. Uh, I uh, I I love to to work with them. I mean I, I I use pretty much exclusively breathing colors I use their their mats their glosses now their metallic and I and their canvas is is great. So, yeah, I'm I'm really happy to be working with them. Well, Martin, I know we didn't talk about this, but I want to since you're talking about printing and paper, 
and five dollar things. <laughs> you have an ebook that's on Craft and Vision that's five dollars called Making the Print Printing Techniques for the Digital Photographer, a master class. So if you want to learn how to print, go grab it's five bucks. Go grab this yeah. thing, right? And then head over and use that code MBP twenty. Grab some of this paper and you're off into the races, right? So Martin, are you printing all the time? Like is your house just like mosaic with prints on the walls everywhere. Well, I wish it was, but I, you know what? I only I'm I'm not allowed to put images on the wall and in, in any other room except for my studio here. <laughs> my my wife likes the white wall. You're quarantined in your own house. <laughs> yep, yeah. I we're actually I'm I'm in negotiations at the moment to to put a, a canvas triptych in the living room. I'm going to take a big uh, take you know a, an image and print it across three canvases. Yep. Um, but we're, we're kind of locked in those negotiations because I want to do like 20 by 10 so that it's it's a, a big print. And she wants to do like these little tiny prints that, that I don't really want to put on the wall. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm locked in these negotiations at the moment. Nice. Just don't drop it on her while she's cutting the stick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Cool, Martin. Well, thank you for the pick of the week. That's perfect. All right, next up is Mr. Steve Simon. Steve, what's your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week, again, uh, is something I got involved with. So full disclosure, uh, you know, I, I sometimes work with Nikon. And they have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Nikon. And it's something new. On the Facebook page, they've got something called My Nikon World. And when you click on it, you can register and upload photos to galleries. There's going to be challenges that myself and some other Nikon photographers will be putting out there. And people that, you know, share their work will earn these badges. And, you know, I know that the Nikon people are going to be looking at this pretty closely. So it's uh, kind of a cool way to, to show and share your stuff with Nikon photographers as well as the company Nikon uh, that's going to be looking at this. So uh, you know, they put a lot into this and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. They've got, I think the first challenge that went up um, is my colleague Rob, Rob Van Petten and I believe it was street photography if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's kind of a, a cool thing. So there'll be tips, techniques and you know, the page has got like, well, the main Nikon page has almost 2 million likes. So I guess that's pretty good. That's uh, that's a lot of photographers. 2 million likes. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of photographers. So so I put that out there. Um, I think it's going to be cool. Um, and I know that eventually, you know, these badges uh, can be translated into prizes. But it just literally started uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. So we'll see how it goes. But um it's called My Nikon World, and it's uh, connected to the Nikon Facebook page. It's called My Nikon World? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm just typing that down to put that in the show notes. Perfect. Cool. All right. Thanks, Steve, for that. You're welcome. All right. And my pick real quick is, so I've been on this kick of of trying to absorb free Photoshop and Lightroom tutorials on YouTube. Uh, because they're free and it turns out there's some people that there's several people actually that do some really killer tutorials um, long form tutorials in some cases on different photoshop techniques and photography and all this cool stuff so i talked about flurn.com um with uh with aaron nace a couple of i think it was the last episode before last but for this episode i wanted to give a shout out to serge ramilli so Serge has this crazy YouTube channel. He's this French guy. And at the beginning of every video that he puts up there, 
he reminds you, even though that he has this crazy French accent, he says, I'm a, I'm French and I'm living in Paris. <laughs> you know? And then, and then, because like, you know, stating the obvious, then he goes on to just show you how to make Lightroom and Photoshop moonwalk and tap dance and ballroom dance and do all this crazy stuff. It's just insane. So, and it's free. It's on his YouTube channel. He puts his stuff up there. Plus he has a website. So definitely, I wanted to uh, to highlight him on This Week in Photo as another resource that our listeners can use to further their education on photography without leaving their homes or paying a dime. So definitely check that out. Serge Ramilly, um, you can just search for him on YouTube. You'll find him and we'll definitely link to his channel from the, the blog post for this episode. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. Let's uh, let's close this out. Peter, Greg, where can people go to see more of your wonderful work and also check out that winning image that you put up? Of course, we're going to put in the, put it in the episode notes for this show. But uh, if you, where where would you like people to go to connect with you? Um, ideally, um, I would have liked people to go to my website, but it's not actually live yet. It's a work in progress. Um, but people can find me on Facebook by searching uh, Peter Gregg Photography or Photography by Peter Gregg. Gregg spelled G-R-E-I-G. Um, you can look me up on Flickr and obviously Viewbook as well. So they're the places That's you can find me if you want to keep in touch. Perfect. And Peter, thank you for coming on the show and sticking with us throughout this whole episode. It's a pleasure talking to you and once again congratulations on that winning image it's it's stunning and i'm not the only one that thinks so so congratulations Thanks. congratulations you're, awesome. you're, you're the reason you're the reason why i'm here so a massive thank you to you frederick and also to uh brian uh, brian goodis at uh, i acrylic uh, i'm really looking forward to receiving the print and I, I promise i will send you a picture when i get it excellent yes i definitely want to i want to see that thing hanging it's got to be hanging cool all right, uh, and Martin Bailey, where where can people go to connect with you and and keep up with your adventures in hating on the pronunciation of Boca? <laughs> I don't hate on anything, um, but uh, but just don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> it's the unmentionable word in the in the Bailey household. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. You can find me and everything I'm into at martinbaileyphotography.com. Uh, I'm actually changing my website at the moment. My blog has now become my top uh, entrance point. Hmm. So uh, you'll have to look in the menus for things until I get that sorted out. But, yeah, it's all what over you, What are you Martin doing there? Bailey. Are you rebranding? So all, all roads are going to leave to martinbaileyphotography.com and then you'll spread out to the podcast from there? Well, yeah. I mean, for a while, I've I've been trying to get to sort of put it all in one place because yeah. um, I'd, I'd got a lot of different things and my, my top tile page, my portal page was getting a bit silly. Um, and I, so what I'm doing is I, I'm currently trying to post all of, I've got 190 episodes of the podcast that were out before I started the blog. And uh, a, a friend in the UK, Michael Rammel, is currently going through and posting some of the older episodes for me. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to gradually phase out the old gallery where I used to have the images uh, because now since, you know, the last, um, what, 200 episodes or so have all been released via the blog and the images are all there. Mm. So it's, uh, it's easier to, to see stuff there. And so I'm just going to really try to direct people to that instead and link to my workshops and everything else from the blog. That's, that's uh, part of my mantra for 2013 and 2014 is simplify and eliminate redundancy less is more 
is what I'm yeah. thinking. Yep. Yeah. Good. Congratulations. Good. Thank you. Okay. And last but not least, Mr. Steve Simon. Steve, where, because, because you haven't been on in what, 15 or 20 years? I'm Something sure everyone's like forgotten where yeah, you exactly. are online. So you have to remind us. Yeah, uh, stevesimonphoto.com, and uh, once there, click on workshops, because chances are I'm coming to, I'm coming to your town. I'm going to be in Los Angeles next week doing my Nikon and Passionate Photographer workshops, then San Francisco, so if you're around, maybe we can meet up. Dude, what are, what are you in San Francisco? Uh, I'm going to be there the 31st to the 5th or something like that. Of, Actually, of uh, August? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I am. I am definitely. definitely here. So yeah, let's uh, let's connect. Beautiful. And then Portland, and then I'm going to be in Victoria, BC, and then I'm going to go to the UK. I'm going to be in Manchester in September 9th to 14th, and London September 17th to the 22nd. So, Jeez. so yeah. That will be cool. You are a traveling fool, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I. Yeah, I'm, I I travel too. Yes, that is that is insane. You are all over the place. You're a rock star. Cool. Pa- passive confrontational. Exactly. <laughs> passive Steve <laughs> spreading passive confrontational confrontation across the globe. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks to all of you for uh, for coming on the show and listeners. If you'd like to keep up with us and everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And please join our community over on Google+. It's growing and thriving. And if you'd like to find me, you can find me at frederickvan.com or mediabytes.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 